Welcome to Practical Knowledge for Personal Development, or PKPD for short, a pharmacy podcast where we explore the various ways to grow as a person and pharmacist by discussing common questions asked by pharmacy learners. Our ambition is to see our listeners achieve their personal and professional goals. This episode is called Aim for the Stars, where we talk about interviewing. I'm Hunter Rondo, and I'm here with my co-host, Callum Blake. For those who do not know us yet, I'm Callum Blake. I'm a research pharmacist at the College of Pharmacy and Health Science and working on my PhD at Wayne State University School of Medicine. And I forgot to introduce myself, but I'm a second-year infectious diseases pharmacy resident at M Health Fairview in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Alrighty, so let's dive into our second episode. I'm super excited. Interview season is finally wrapping up, as you know, and Hunter has been interviewing for jobs, real jobs, right? Yeah, yeah, real jobs that pay the real pharmacist salary. <laughs> Take me on like what it's been like this time around since you started and, you know, gone through all this, this whole process of interviewing for uh, ID pharmacist jobs. You know, from what I've seen so far, it's very similar to residency interviews. Interviews have the same goal. Is the person who you see on paper the right fit for the job? And how the position you are applying for and interviewing for determines how to assess that. Everybody does things different. I remember when going through residency interviews, thought everybody's residency interview was a little bit different, but also very similar in ways. They all were looking for kind of the same skill set, but they also were looking for certain skills that they that they viewed were necessary for, for you to succeed in that position. So in a way, there's a ton of similarities, but also there's a lot of differences. Yeah. And like, what would you say has been the hardest, you know, challenge that you've encountered going through interviews? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure like, obviously, negotiating salary is going to be a huge thing that you kind of have to bring up in these interviews, whereas residents, we don't really, you don't do that, you know? Right. Yeah. You don't get to negotiate your stipend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wish. You know, that's, that's one thing I would, when it comes to like the salary piece, that's something that, you know, has not really been talked much about during the interview. That's something that like once you get an offer, then you start talking about that. In the actual interviews, it's like, all right, are you a good fit for this job? I see. Okay. So, as far as discussing salary, I have not, aside from filling out applications saying what a desired salary is, there have been zero discussion about salary during the actual interview. Interesting. Okay. So I guess you wouldn't really have to prep for that during that time if you are right. going through that process. Okay. That's even, good to know. Yeah. And even during the interviews that I've had with where there's an HR representative, mm -hmm. we're, not we're not chatting about benefits or salary. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about, you know, what's the... What's the culture like at the institution? How does the, from not just a pharmacy lens, but from a just healthcare professional lens, how, what is the culture? What is the environment like? So, uh, and that's something I was like, oh gosh, there's an HR person. I need to be ready to ask my, these kind of questions. Nope. It's not been that. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's not bad though. I feel like that kind of relieves a lot of pressure in a way. So. Yes, it, it has. Uh have you encountered any really challenging questions where you're like, oh, shoot, I don't know how to answer this? I don't think I've had any of those questions yet because in a way, job interviews are very similar to residency. There's just the difference in that, you know, residency, you know, you're going to be there for a year. These job interviews, you know, they're asking the long term questions like, are you going to be here for a while? Or are you going to bounce right away? I mean, for the most part, people know that your first job out of residency isn't likely going to be your forever career one. But I mean, I'm if I could, you know, stick with my first position for my career, that would be nice. I know my wife would love us not having to move again. <laughs> right. <laughs> I agree with that. No, that's very true. Very true. Um, so, I mean, the title of our episode is Aim for the Stars, but I kind of want to talk about what is the STAR method because going through residency interviews and also, you know, you going through residency interviews and now job interviews, we use the STAR method a lot. And so if you kind of want to briefly explain what that is, I feel like you have a you have a better, you know, uh, side to this perspective, I should say, because you've been used to it more than I have. Well, and especially like with this whole STAR method is I like to take a step back of like, what is the purpose of an interview? Why mm -hmm. not just submit your application and then get someone to message you and say, you're hired. 
Right? That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, man, that'd be <laughs> so much less stressful. Send in my piece of paper and then start career right away. But when, when you think about like why you do an interview is a, your paper, well, I guess not really paper anymore. It's all digital. Uh, but your electronic application is saying, these are what these are the qualifications and the reasons why I'm a good fit for the job. It is all written communication. Your letter of intent or cover letter, uh, the things that you've done on your CV. I mean, that's showing your experience, that's showing your your written verbal skills. But the interview is really where you get to start to see, you know, the situational questions assessing your oral communication skills and how do you react in certain situations? Now, whether you're truthful or dishonest in that, that's up to you. Uh, I would encourage you to not be dishonest in answering interview questions because people people know when you're faking it. People know when you're lying. So I, yes, there is a degree of embellishment that people do with their interview questions. But if you make stuff up entirely, people know. So the star method is really a way that when I first heard about it, I thought it was mumbo jumbo. It's like, this is something someone learned from a leadership conference that they just want to just use. When I heard the star method and now was like looking at how the candidates were answering these situational questions that I was in their shoes at one point responding to those questions, it's so much easier to follow the story and to really assess how they act and behave in these different situations when they follow that very linear star method so star stands for situation task action and result so breaking that down the s situation that's the, that first part is you setting the stage what happens what what came to light and in fact to make it easier for those listening to what the star method is i'll use an example of something that i'm that i'm working on that i used in some of my interviews. So the situation here, there was a situation where a patient was getting amicacin for a non-tuberculosis mycobacterial infection, or NTM as they're more commonly known. There's some guidance on how to use that drug in that situation. My institution, in our aminoglycoside dosing protocol, there wasn't clear-cut guidance on how to use this antibiotic for this infection. And so the situation was the pharmacist that I was going and talking to, like, hey, how comfortable do you feel in using this drug for this indication? And they're like, not good at all. No, this actually stresses me out. This is probably one of the most stressful situations I've used in amino in aminoglycoside before. So there's the situation. Okay, there's a gap. I feel our current aminoglycoside protocol is doing a disservice to my clinical pharmacy team. So there you go. There's your situation. I have now painted the stage. You can now see like, oh, we got to do something about this. So now comes the task. So what was your responsibility in this situation? What, what was the task at hand? So the task at hand was this policy needed updated. There needed to be guidance to help support our clinical pharmacist in these situations. So then they're not feeling like, well, we have a policy, but I'm not going to follow it because it's, I don't know how to apply it here. So the task was going and updating that policy. Now the action, so the A, is what did I do? What, what, what did you do in the task? So task, like you're saying, like, here's what, here's what I was tasked with doing. Action is where you now describe the process that you took. So what did Hunter do to, address, to update the aminoglycoside policy? I reviewed the primary literature. I looked at what other institutions are doing. I went in and, and described my process of what did it mean to update a policy. So looking at the primary literature, trying to find like what other institutions are doing and have this update. And I guess the other piece, which it's still kind of in process, is I'll go and present this to the, the relevant committees to get their blessing to see is, is this what we need or is this the right thing to give the support to our clinical pharmacy team that's, that's appropriate. And then result will be, okay, what happened? Everybody wants a closure to the story. So that's where, you know, where I'm currently at with it, I don't have that result. So that's where I, I, where I get to say is, you know, I don't have the results yet, but this is how I'm going to monitor for those results yet. So like, you don't have to have something that you have closure on just yet. This is where anytime I've told a story using the STAR method, 
the times that I left out the result, that's the first thing the interviewer asks. So what happened? That anytime you hear someone telling a story and they just stop when it comes to the to the end, that's what people ask. They're like, oh, come on, tell me more. Tell me more. Right. Yeah, that's like very important. You always have to come on, you know, like end up end with that result, you know? Right. And sometimes people yeah. will refer to that result as the follow-up. All right, so you mm -hmm. did this intervention. What happened? A much, much simpler way of considering the STAR method is you have a patient, you did this intervention, what happened? That's probably the more common way people will use STAR method in the interview session. But, you know, being an ID resident, a lot of the things I'm doing are changes to the stewardship process or policy updates. So that's an example of how you can apply it, apply it to there. And you can still do it for in-progress stuff like that. Yeah. And I also think it's a good good thing to point out too. Not only can you use a STAR method for what you just described, but I remember using the STAR method when I went through residency interviews as, um, you know, the, the, you know, people or preceptors would ask hard questions like name a situation where you had a conflict with a coworker or a conflict with another student or colleague. And that's when I use the STAR method too. So I guess an example would be situation would be, all right, I had this project I had to present to the pharmacy department with a partner. I noticed that the project work for my partner was decreasing and, you know, I wanted it kind of made me question whether or not this project would get done in enough time. So my task, I wanted to give, you know, my partner the benefit of the doubt, but also be transparent about the project deadline. The action, my approach was, you know, I wanted to kind of pull my partner aside before rounds and ask him about you know, what's going on? Is there anything I can do to help? And so that kind of showed the people that I was interviewing with. So you kind of want to orient those, the situation, task, and action to your benefit, right? Um, and play up that situation. And then, you know, what was the result? Um, you know, after I ended up talking to him, I realized that he had a lot going on. And so I was able to figure out how to best break up this PowerPoint into better slides and we were able to get the project done, you know, in X amount of time. So kind of similar things. And what do you learn from that? I always think it's really important. You know, yes, this all happened and this was the result. But the, also the one thing that I learned was, you know, it's important to be open and honest and have this communication with somebody else. And so, you know, I'm really glad I did that. So that's kind of what I also like to throw in at the end as well. Like what was important about this whole situation at the end of the day? Um, and what you learn from it. So yeah, no, I think that's a really, really good point. And that's kind of how I ask all these or answer these difficult questions that kind of get thrown at you. It's always an important thing, I think, to th to think about. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> oh yeah, it, I, I'm following you because yeah, you, you pretty, I think both you and I just were able to show that the STAR method can apply to anywhere based on how you how you lay out the, the situation that happened. Exactly. It doesn't just have to be a, a big project you worked on it can be a simple interaction mm -hmm. exactly it shows your i mean you just by listening to someone talk through their star their star intervention or star project or star piece of communication you can assess their critical thinking skills you can assess their <laughs> their ability to handle conflict mm -hmm. exactly <laughs> you can assess their ability to think on their feet like there's a lot of things just by hearing how they talk and how they talk about people, how they talk about how they handle projects, how they handle stress. You can see their emotions come out sometimes in that whenever you hear them, oh, they kind of got held up at the at the task phase. Maybe they struggle to identify what the problem is. And I don't know. It's is it oversimplifying human communication potentially, but yeah, you know who who knows. <laughs> but I, I agree. I think it's a really good uh, good method to kind of to go go by um, but sort of thinking about difficult questions I always think there are these certain questions that people ask in their interviews that are kind of there and meant to lure you into this trap and they want to see how oh, you're going to answer yeah. it and I definitely got a fair share of those where I was like oh my goodness I do not know how I'm going to answer this question um, okay this is interesting let's see how I'm gonna you know let me think real quickly um, and so I think the main things what they're looking for is like how much you might blame other people for your struggles. 
Do you talk about other people? What's your attitude like? Um, how much responsibility are you taking at the workplace? So I think, you know, it's a balance of all these things. And I think the main thing is to make sure, you know, you're not throwing anyone under the bus or any other healthcare worker under the bus. Um, and, you know, that that unfortunately happens. I've, you know, heard about it in interviews. And I think we all have kind of witnessed that at some point, you know. I'm glad you bring that up because like there, there was a time during one of my residency interviews that I had asked the team a challenging question because I wanted to know how they handled conflict whenever they don't mm-hmm. see eye to eye. And oh my gosh, one of them bad mouthed their coworker. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I mean, you know, you could DNR a candidate, but candidates can DNR programs. After seeing that, I was like, is that the environment I want to train in? Is that the environment that... I'm supposed to grow in. And that came through on the interview. And I knew very quickly that is not what I want. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no. And that's a great question to ask, I think. And you kind of have to play those those questions to your advantage in a way. So it's all very strategic. And definitely don't slack when you are prepping for interview, interview season, because these are important questions you just have to ask and find out. Right. And I think that kind of transition or segues us to a good point of like, what does it mean to ask questions in interviews? If there's anything I've learned from, especially from a a learner that's asking, what are good questions to ask? The first thing I usually say is if you're at, if you're asking me that, I think you have more soul searching to do because the best questions are the ones that you come up with that are important to you. You don't want to ask gotcha questions. Being on the receiving end of a gotcha question is just, no, it's it leaves such an, a sour taste. Whenever programs ask me a gotcha question, I'm like, what are you actually assessing? What are you trying to look for with this question? The same goes for the candidate. Don't ask questions just to, oh, I gotcha. I got a good question to see if I can stump you or expose something. Yes, or there sound is a, smart, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Like I understand everybody's looking for the red flags, but you also need to be looking for the things that are important to you. I know like some people might think it's odd that I ask this, but every interview that I assess or every interview that I've gone for, whether it was a residency or a job interview, I ask, what is your knowledge about the biomedical industry in the area? And they're like, why are you like, and I always give them some more context of like why I'm asking it, but it's because my wife's a a biomedical engineer. I want to have an, if I have any insight into the area, if this is a good fit for her to develop her career as well. I would like to have that information. If you don't know, it's fine. You can say you don't know. There's a lot of questions I say I don't know too. Yeah. No, that's actually a really important thing too, especially if you have like a significant other or partner that, you know, you're moving. You have to kind of think about that too and and consider that. So I think that's a great question to ask. And I always had these questions. I remember going into interviews. I had questions for specific preceptors because you get a whole itinerary. So I like looked up these preceptors and – you know, I wanted to kind of know a little bit about them. So I had specific questions for preceptors, specific questions for residents, and those were tailored in different ways. Um, I guess like for an example is, um, let's see, for maybe like if I was to ask a, like a resident, I would want to know, did they have like adequate um, training during their orientation period to set them up for, <laughs> you know, preparation as a pharmacist? I feel like such a good question. Oh, my God. And sometimes, yeah, they're just like, wait, I actually just got thrown into the fire or some of them are like, no, we had a whole month of training and, you know, X, Y, Z, and there was a big transition period. So I definitely asked like one of those questions. I also asked, you know, um, you know, what their percentage of their residents were retained in their, um, in their program, things like that. Um, and the kind of the, you know, the culture of the hospital and the population they care for, I always think that's important. And in general, I just kind of assessed if they seemed like they liked their job, if they were happy and things like that. Obviously people can, you know, say whatever in a 30 minute interview, but just kind of have to evaluate it to the best of your, your knowledge. And yeah, if that makes sense. But yeah, that was definitely certain questions I asked and, and feedback, like, what what did that feedback look like from their preceptors? and did everyone did all the preceptors have different feedback styles and you know what were what were their ways of giving that feedback to i felt that was very important to know 
Those those are good questions. I, I should have taken some of your questions when I was looking at different residency programs. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have this whole, which I'm hoping to share eventually on like a website or if we get something up and running, I have this whole document of questions I would ask my ask the preceptors and questions I would ask residents specifically. And so I feel like they're really good questions. And I'm like, wow, like what are what's the pharmacy relationship relationship like with the physicians and how do you feel pharmacy plays a role on the team? That is you know? so, I I asked that question and I love the answers that I got from that because yeah, you don't want to be rotating somewhere where all the hard work and interventions you're wanting to put forth just get shot down, not because they're not good interventions. You're just a pharmacist. Yeah. I think that's a great question to ask. We should make like an infographic of that, like di dissecting interview questions. What are these questions asking? Why are these questions like? They, they actually have this whole thing. I think you have to pay for it. And I remember I got it. It's TLDR Pharmacy Interview Mastery. TLDR guide to interview questions and it's actually really great. I highly recommend it. It's it honestly goes through pretty much every question or situation that somebody might ask in an interview, more so geared towards like PGY ones, um, PGY two, but it will say like the question, the variations of the question, you know, because there can be many. And then what's like the call to action? Like what's what are what are they trying to get out of you for that question? So like an example, I guess would be like, okay, so the question is, tell me about a time you had to deal with an irate patient. How did you handle that situation? Variations of that question could range from, all right, now instead of the irate patient, what about a coworker, a boss, a, a doctor, NA, or PA, MP, stuff like that, classmate. And so that's kind of like difficult conflict situation. And then this is this question is more geared towards like customer service and you know how to how do you handle these situations and stuff like that um and the question is really testing whether or not you can kind of keep this level head mentality and not take it personally when somebody is possibly being you know irate towards you so i think that's like a really kind of cool thing that they do in this and then they sort of tell you how to answer it and um, i find it really helpful there's probably about like 50 questions or something and i mean i love tldr stuff yeah. So I'm not surprised that they produce something of, of that high quality for, for residency interview stuff. Right. Oh, yeah. It's 30 questions. And then someone will quiz you. And then you, it says uh, the number of silences, you like record yourself. You have to then go back, see the number, count the number of silences, the number of fillers that you used. Were you rambling? It like goes, you are like critiquing yourself to a T. It's, it's very, yeah, it's on point. But if you want to, be successful in interviews and you're that type of person, I would definitely check this out and hopefully we can kind of put this um, on our Twitter page too uh, for you guys who are interested in learning a little bit more about uh, practicing for interviews. Yeah, that, that's a good idea. Uh, remind me and I'll make sure I get that posted on the accounts. <laughs> I'm sure they'll love a tag. I know, I know. I just, I love, I love TLDR stuff. So it's, they're always good. Um, I feel like they always have helpful things. Um, but I think also another point to to mention as far as interviews go, always have an elevator pitch. I mean, I'm sure you have one. Yes. Oh, yeah. That is that is so important to have that elevator pitch because at some point in every interview I've had, they get the, all right, introduce yourself. Tell us about yourself. And that is so important because that's, you know, some people take first impressions way more important than they should. Some are like, okay, well, let's actually see how you perform in the interview. But if you come out, like, come out of the gate, like, it's just really showing it to everybody. This is who I am. This is why I'm here and why I'm interested. Yeah, you can you can really command and set the tone of that interview. If you can nail that, yeah, if you can nail getting that elevator speech down, you're already halfway there, I feel like. Right. I like one one of the things that I was taught going through PGY one interviews. No, it's PGY two. PGY two interviews was past, present, future, and I loved it. So I've been like, yes, I'm Hunter Ondo. I'm originally from Kansas. I went to pharmacy school at the University of Kansas. Present. Oh, now I'm a PGY one resident at U of Hell Shands in Gainesville, Florida. Future. Now I'm going for my second year in infectious diseases pharmacy residency. Like. 
that was my past, present, future. Like that was a quick, easy way of saying I'm a pharmacy student from there. And you can always tailor that however you want. Like I would always some I'd throw it throw in sometimes. Oh, I'm a Jayhawker. Now I'm a Gator. Now I'm and now it's a PGI too. I'm a Gopher. Yeah, like something funny to lighten the mood. I would always yeah add in something a little bit along those lines too. No, that's a that's that's a good point. Yeah, no, I like that past, present, and future. Definitely take that into consideration when you're thinking about your elevator speech. And I think the elevator speech is also really important, not only for interviews, but I've had to give my elevator speech to so many people, friends, families, relatives. I mean, anyone, you know, like, oh, what do you do? You know, and you kind of have to give your elevator speech. So it's always something to have in the back of your pocket and, you know, practice almost every day, I feel like. And then it just becomes sort of natural. Um. Yeah, And especially like as you practice it more with a diverse audience, you're able to pivot to your audience a lot better. So whenever I like I know I did this a lot for uh, what is it? Not not residency interviews, PPS. When I was on the side of being helping do PPS interviews, I was like, well, I want to show that I'm personable. So here's a little bit about me. It's like some of the things I would say, like um, I'm originally from Kansas. I went. Like I'd always use the word slingshot. Anyone who has interviewed me will know like, oh, he said the word slingshot. I went from Kansas to Florida and slingshot it up to Minnesota. And then I would talk, then I would switch over to like why I'm passionate about infectious diseases and antimicrobial stewardship and teaching and precepting. And then I would go into uh, specifically if it was a, if I was interviewing, like if I was a person being interviewed, sorry, I would dive into like why I'm interested in their place. Like what, what about their institution or their place drew me to them? Cause that's, that always sets it up to really easy of, to the next question, because oftentimes the first question you're getting asked is, so why our place? Yeah. Why our program? Those are typical questions. Like you will definitely get asked why this program, why, why our, you know, why this? So I, yeah, definitely have that one ready to go. Um, and Taylor, yeah. if you can't answer that, the, I, yeah. Yeah, that's bad. You just have to have that. I think <laughs> one of my recent interviews, like it was a long interview. Like all six sessions started with that question. And I was like, guys, I know you're testing me for consistency right now. So I'm gonna stay consistent. Right. You're like, what if you say something in this one and it's not the same in the next one? They're like, wait a second, he didn't say that in ours, you know. He doesn't like antibiotics. <laughs> he likes cardiology. <laughs> yeah, and they all get confused. Oh, my gosh. I, yeah, I, I I can imagine. You know what I did find when I did go through residency interviews? And you could tell some of the preceptors were definitely burnt out a little bit. And they're retired because it's been a long day. They have to work. And now they have to interview all these candidates. And they probably have a lot. So, you know, I don't blame them. A very long day. But what I found at least for virtual interviews. I don't know how this is for, you know, in person, but I feel like it could go the same way. But I would always ask them, they're like, okay, so do you have any questions for us? And if I really like didn't have any questions, I'd be like, so what do you guys like to do for fun? And then they're, all their faces lit up. They're like, oh, wow. Like you're not asking me a question, not about their program, but like, I want to get to know you as well as a preceptor. Like, what do you like to do for fun? Would we get along if I was to be mentored by you? And I felt like that was a really good question to ask them too. And I kind of noticed as I started asking that question throughout the rest of my interviews, they everyone really liked that and they seemed to like have a have good feedback. And they all started talking about what they're passionate about. And I feel like, you know, some some of them brought up, oh, I love barbecuing. I make I have a big smoker and I start smoking ribs. And you can tell like his whole like expression and attitude about the the interview just totally changed and who knows maybe that made a good impression so i always feel like that's a really good question to ask too if you really don't know anything just ask him what do you like to do for fun around here or if you're not you know not familiar with the area so that's a little tip i i agree no that is a great great question to ask especially when you're when you're like is this someone who i want to be my preceptor mm -hmm. if they can't one if they definitely can't talk about what they do for fun and they're so burnt out then that's in my mind, that's a, do I want to be here if all the preceptors are burnt out and aren't excited to talk to a resident candidate? Uh, but yeah, I totally understand, you know, even being on the other side of seeing all of the preceptors interviewing, like not everybody got time off to interview, like dedicated time to interview. They're doing their normal clinical workload. And I remember seeing a while back, people were 
I don't know if they were tweeting or if it was Instagram posts, but I remember seeing somewhere people were like, uh, it, oh, it was Reddit. That's right. I saw on Reddit people were like, gosh, it's so frustrating that people are like taking phone calls during my interview. And there were a couple RPDs on Reddit that were like, look, some of these people or like some of these preceptors that are interviewing you don't have the luxury of taking a day off and they're having to balance their clinical workload while still participating in the interview so don't let that just be what you score them on. but but i do have to say this did happen in one of my interviews and i i didn't rank them for the fact that i was i was speaking to them and i was like oh you know i asked them a question and they all respond except one person she was like typing away and she obviously wasn't paying attention because she was working at the same time as being on the interview but in my head i was like why are you even here you know what i mean like i get it but i don't i'm like and it just made me seem like, okay, if you don't even have time to take off time for the pharmacy candidates to interview, then I know your institution has a very heavy workload because it just goes to show that they won't even take time for the interviews. You know, whereas some some places they had time for these interviews and they set it they set aside time. So that made me think a little bit more like, hmm. This is going to be either maybe a very rigorous, rigorous program, and you're going to have to be doing a lot of multitasking. So it was good. It was a good in a way because it's transparent. And, you know, but I also think like, yeah, it is kind of rude, though. Like, I wouldn't be working at the same time when I'm trying to, you know, talk to you. And if you want to come to our institution, I know you have to work. Then I would take that person out of the, the interview room just fully for that, solely for that reason, you know. I don't know. Maybe you have a different perspective. That's my perspective, no, but I don't I, know. I think I I used to think like that, but maybe it's just because I have one know. more year of residency where I've seen it. Like, yeah. I mean, good Lord. Like during my interview or during my, not the interview I was conduct or I was a part of our program doing the interviewing, like seeing the kind of fires that were going on that were like putting out in the middle of the interview because, you know, we have our whole team participating in the interview. Like there are, there are fires going on in the background that, hold on, got to go take care of this. And, you know, maybe it's better to turn off your camera, but, you know, then that looks like, oh, they're really not paying attention. So I think one of the things that I learned to appreciate was, you know, if they're looking like they're distracted, feel free to ask a question, ask for their input. If they're still able to answer, like, okay, then they're still listening. Maybe they were the one typing your answer out. We, you never know what they're typing out there. Maybe because I know one of the things I was struggling to do whenever I was interviewing candidates was how do I show that I'm still engaged and listening to their answers, but also keeping the notes. So whenever I go to score them later, I have accurate notes to appropriately and fairly score them because Anyone who ever thinks that they can just remember what went in the interview and then can score them appropriately has never done an interview before because it's hard. You want to remember all those details, but you also don't want to freak out candidates writing all this notes about them. Oh, I saw them. They're like writing stuff down. I'm like, hmm, well, I wonder what they're writing down, you know? But what was on that scorecard? What were the <laughs> – That's a good question. Because so, I have I our scorecard. I know what – like what what ours looks like in a way so right you know i and i have the scorecard from my current institution last year's institution where and even places where i even just rotated through not a great idea to have your interview criteria spelled out in policy mm, interesting <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay you know what that just if anything that shows it would be better if every program had the interview criteria laid out because I would like that. It's really, it'd be much easier to call out any racial bias or any. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I know there are programs I was like, the only people you have had as residents for the last seven years are all male. I don't know if that's a place I'd want to train at. Yeah. And by, you know, vice versa, they're all female. And I think that's something that I also had to kind of, obviously, you know, the pharmacy population is, is, you know, more heavily populated with females now. But, you know, that is something to consider. And I definitely had to look at that as well, for sure. Right. Yeah. Especially when there's like, okay, there's 16 females and only one male. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> something seems off. I'm like, there can't be that much. Shouldn't it be like 60, 40? I don't know. I mean, what do I know? But, hey, who knows? Who knows these days? Um, yeah. It's, it, so, I mean, as far as talking about things on the interview sheet – 
I feel like there's a lot of consistencies. Um, of course, I'm not going to go through and read off my rubric. My RPD would be like, Hunter, what are you doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. But no, you can't do that. If you there's can't anything do that. I've learned by looking at the criteria that I have scored candidates off of and feel like I'm being assessed on based off the questions I've been asked is everybody really looks at the same same main things. Are you are you here for a job or are you here for a career? Do you care about patients or do you care about a paycheck? There is a spectrum of that. I think if you only care about a paycheck, you are you don't take care of patients very well. If you only care about patients and don't care about paycheck, well, I think you're inc- going to be incredibly burnt out very fast. I think there's a healthy balance in between. Know your worth, but also you're in healthcare. You should give somewhat of a crap about patients that you're taking care of. Just my two cents, but. (laughs) Interesting. So like when you were interviewing candidates, that's kind of what you sort of saw was a spectrum of, okay, I'm just, I'm here. I'm not super enthusiastic. I just want a job or I really want a residency and like this is what I'm passionate about. So it's like, it's kind of yes. the spectrum you're looking it's like, at, right? It's like, why do you want to do this specialty? Why do you want, like that's mm. every, everyone's asking that. Why, in our interviews, we're asking that. Why infectious diseases? Do you have that drive? And really that makes sense now being on the other side because being an ID resident or even be anybody being a second year resident, you're crazy for wanting to do a second year after going through a first year, knowing how brutal and challenging it can be. A hundred percent. I have friends right now. They're like, do I even do a PGY2, Callan? I don't know what to do. They're like, I can't do another year, but I love like emergency medicine. Well, that's it. That's it. You've got to love what you do. That's because if you sign up for another year, of the brutality of residency and you don't have your heart in it and you're not motivated and driven, you're going to burn out. You're going to quit. And I don't blame people for signing up for something that they're not passionate about and quit in the middle of it. I don't blame you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It's, it's a huge decision to think about. And I also kind of had to think about that in a way that when I went back for my PhD, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is another four years. But at the end of the day, what keeps me going is I love it, right? Like, I love this. I love what I do. Yeah, the money sucks and I'm not getting pharmacist salary. But at the end of the day, I like it and I'm happy to be here. So I think that's a that's a huge difference. And you can definitely tell when people are talking, you know, about their specialties for sure. But that's a good point. That's a really good point. And that sh- is there no, anything? I mean, even yeah. building off of that, like that will shine through the rest of your stuff in the interview. If you are if you are truly passionate about what you are interviewing for, all of the other boxes that you're trying to check, it's going to show through there. The type of projects that you do. If you truly are passionate about infectious diseases, you're going to have some project experience in infectious diseases. If you're truly passionate about infectious diseases and being involved in the communities and involved in the professional societies, you'll have signed up for at least one, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you like emergency medicine, you're participating in those conferences or you're going to, you know, critical care conferences, oncology conferences or doing a, a, you know, a a research project in one of those areas. So that is that is definitely true. What would you say, kind of pivoting, but what would you say has been like the biggest or the most common mistake you've seen when you've been interviewing candidates? What's like a common thing you're like, oh, no, why are they all doing oh, this? Or... I'm very glad you bring that up because it is the thing that I try and show is the most important thing that I don't make a mistake in my interviews is be yourself. Do not conform for the job or the residency you're interviewing for. Be yourself. If they don't like you, if they don't like, they don't like Hunter, then okay. Hunter does not belong here. Like I, I have been, I, there were PPS interviews that I was in that I quickly realized like, you know, just in this brief interaction, I don't think I'm going to be a good fit for this. There have been job interviews that I've been in. You know what? I'm not a good fit for this. And whether it's something that I want or need that they don't have, or something about how, what they value is not the same values that I have. Like you gotta be yourself. If I can't talk about how much fun I have mixing all the different cocktails that I do, if I talk about that and it looks like I'm getting super judged for having a hobby, you can guarantee that follow-up interview email is going to say, thank you for taking the time to interview me. I don't believe I'm a good fit for the position, but I wish you all the best of luck in your search. That's what my email is going to be afterwards. I'm not yeah. going to... Conf- yeah. yeah. So 
<laughs> no, no, I think that's so important because I also was dealing with that when I was going through residency, you know, interviews. I was like, oh, like what if they found my TikTok or my social media? And obviously, very important to keep your social media, you know, professional in, in certain ways. And but also be yourself. If you want to go to a concert and show that you're having fun at a concert, I think you should. I don't think you should be judged for that. And I think, you know, we're so scared to like say stuff about our personal lives. But at the end of the day, we all want to know like what you do for fun and you know what what are your hobbies you like to drink you like not to drink but like do you like to make cocktails that sounds bad but like do you like to make cocktails and all these like you know cool things and you know I think that's like what makes everything everyone so special and like if you're just kind of suppressing that because you're like oh I don't know if they are like into that or and they're super against this you know I'm not going to say it then you're just kind of hiding who you are and that's what the, somebody told me they're like do not hide who you are D you know be proud of your social media and, and what you've done and you know make it known like what what you can kind of bring to the table but also if you hide that you're just hiding who you are and if they don't like it then they're just not going to rank you so you're better off showing like who you are than just hiding it and I think that's a really important thing because I, I was kind of dealing with that too like I think I should just like hide a little bit you know and not suppress some things but at the end of the day it's really just going to hurt you you know and they're really not going to get to know the true the true person or the true hunter or the true count glad you think so because that's that's something i tell all the i tell all the students i interact mm -hmm. with when they're like what yeah. do i do in interviews no, or how do you do this smart. presentation like i present like how i want to present and that was i that was advice i got from one of my my mentors i was like dude i love how you present like when you present like it's engaging it balances entertainment but also like captivates the audience like I like that. And because uh, I asked him, I was like, how do you do it? He's like, I just present like how I want to present. I am myself. I was like, so I literally took that advice, incorporated into my next presentation and got the same feedback. And people were like, I loved your presentation style. It was, it was entertaining, but also engaging. I learned a lot. And also like, you can tell people enjoy your presentation because their laptops are closed and their phones are upside down. <laughs> Yeah. And I also think this is can be like a whole nother episode for another day because I think this is super important. It's just presentation skills in general. I love presenting. But you know what I've noticed when looking at other candidates right now for PhD students, you know, and they're all very young and like, okay, they got to present your own thing. It's a little bit different, but um, it, it's enthusiasm. Like these, some of these students are just not like they're, they might be nervous. I'm not sure, but it's like, be very excited about this research be very excited about what you're presenting like that will make the audience really captivated about like what you're about to say so i think just being excited about what you're going to present especially if you're interviewing for like a specialty and it's like emergency medicine or, or care or infectious diseases you better love that and make sure you you do show that passion through your presentation but i think that's something that a lot of people might kind of forget when they do when they do do that i guess so um, yeah, definitely be exciting. Throw some funny things in there. You know, it's it's a presentation. You got to keep them engaged and they want to show you want to show them that you're excited, too, about this or whatever you're going to you know, present on. So, yeah, I really like that. I like that point. Um, let's see. Were you um, nervous? Because I know the biggest thing I, I felt fine when I was going to interviews. I felt like I could answer some questions or kind of finesse in a way. Right. But the biggest thing that I was worried about was like the clinical case portion. Do you get that when you're interviewing for PGY2s? Do you get a clinical case portion in like infectious diseases per se? Um, because I know I was just really honestly nervous for that whole part. Cause I'm like, I don't want them to think I'm stupid, you know? And I'm like, I don't remember any of this. Right. Well, I think that's, so the clinical case question, it's not so much your clinical prowess. That, that's one of the things that I realized was, you know, yes, in a way, they are assessing your clinical foundation skills, but if anything, they're assessing your coachability and your critical thinking skills. At what point do you feel comfortable saying, I don't know the answer? Because now, now granted, for the most part, from what I've heard and what I've seen in clinical case portions of these interviews, they're not meant to be incredibly difficult. I had one, I'll, I will say, there was one place I interviewed at that they gave me a very challenging case. And I was like, what on earth? And oh. it just, it threw me off. And I was like, if whenever I'm on the other side of that interview, I am not giving someone this kind of derailing of, an, of a question. I don't know. To me, when I went through every single program that I had, maybe it's because they're all large academic medical centers, but they were, they were tough. 
I remember getting someone, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, I know the answer, but like, I can't believe they're asking this. And I only know this because I worked at this one infectious diseases and I dose bank this way. Like, it was just super interesting to see like, wow, they would ask, you know, a P4 student this, like, okay, like this is it. Maybe it was just like a, a shock to me. I'm not sure. But yeah, that was definitely like my, my most nerve wracking like portion of the interview by far, but it all went fine. And I think like you said, it's really just to see like what what you cannot what you can answer what you can't how do you go about not answering that and where would you go to look up that answer if you don't know an answer just say yeah i would refer to xyz guideline yeah i mean i did that in a job interview i uh, it, i mean it was following one of my presentations but i got asked a question about the presentation that i didn't know the answer that i looked into it and gave them an answer afterwards that's i mean one, I think I hopefully scored points on follow-up, but but yeah, there's nothing wrong with saying I don't know. Now, if it's the first thing on the clinical case presentation of like, all right, you have a patient here with endocarditis, um, and your the first question that comes up is, you know, what are common organisms in endocarditis? Like, and you don't know that, and you're like, I don't even know where to look. I'm just gonna look it up to date. But see, I feel like even sometimes I'm like nervous. And I, even though I work in infectious disease, I'm like, uh, 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 like, oh, uh, stuff. Like, you know what I mean? I'm just like, pseudomonas, like, what is going on, you know? So I always just like, I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm just different. And there's just these things that kind of get thrown at me. But I, I will say going through PGY1 interviews, I did not have many clinical case questions. And I still interviewed at a majority academic medical centers. Um, now I will say for PGY2, Every single interview I had had a clinical had a clinical case question as well as an interview on an ID topic or had a presentation on an ID topic. So those were two practically guaranteed components of the interview. And it makes sense because if you're interested in ID, you should have some baseline higher interest or exposure. Like, what, why do you like ID? If you can't answer a bread and butter ID question, and don't know where to go and get it, how interested truly are you in the specialty? I sat in on a couple on um, PGY2 interviews for ID at, at the hospital near us, and they had to give a clinical case presentation. So it was interesting to see, you know, like what they do and how they act in those certain situations. But it's all in person, so it's all, it's all kind of different now. It's not virtual. So I like it in a way, though. You know, you get to kind of see their demeanor and how they present, not just on Zoom. So there's a lot you can get out of it. Something that I found that I feel I can really replace the clinical assessment questions, especially for PGY2 and specialty interviews, is just ask them questions from their inter or their presentation they're doing. You can assess their clinical knowledge foundation from there, especially in a topic that they, you would expect them to be very knowledgeable on. So like I do a lot of presentations on stenotrophomonas. So if I get an audience question that is pretty like a pretty common question about stenotrophomonas and I don't know the answer that really makes it seem like I don't know my stuff <laughs> if I were an RPD I would probably remove the here's a clinical case work through it and I would probably ask questions from their interview or from their case pre their presentation if you had a patient like this and you had this situation how would you do it because then you can like to, you can make them like all right you i know you know this information because you just presented on it now apply it to a patient and you you shave off like a whole hour of an interview <laughs> that's exactly what they did yeah for the candidates that we we listened to and one of them was like okay well, if you were in this situation on this case presentation that you just brought up, what would you do in this situation? And then they went through it. But I think that's like a very good point because, yeah, you can just kind of hit all those points right right then and there. So knowing your CV. Oh, my gosh. Do you need to know your CV? That is so, so important. If it's on your CV, it is fair game to be asked about. Well, I have I beg to differ because honestly, I had a very extensive CV, like 10 pages going into PG because I really did a lot and and I barely got asked any questions on my CV as a PGY. And I was so mad because I, yeah, because I was like, and all my friends we talked about after interviews, I'm like, they didn't even care what was on my CV. They didn't ask me any questions. They didn't ask me about this presentation I did and I had everything ready to go. But no, they asked me other <laughs> I, I did. But I also think that they asked me questions about my research. 
because I feel like that might have been something that set me apart from other students. So a lot of our topics were geared on that research in my CV. But I I was kind of upset because everyone was telling me to put like know your CV. And I did and knew I knew it in and out. And man, I didn't get a lot of questions. But maybe you had a different experience. What was your experience like? Oh yeah, I feel and I I only had to solicit questions about my CV a couple times just because, you know, that's something I like to ask because, you know, when there are a lot of people in a room that are interviewing you and people haven't had a chance to ask a question, I feel like it's a great way to get people who haven't gotten to ask a question yet the opportunity to, because it's my view that your CV, everybody can find something on it to connect with. And I like to give that opportunity to people to connect with. And whenever I offer up that question, Usually the person who hasn't spoken yet is like, I saw you did this. I did this. I'm curious. Can you tell me more about that experience? And it kind of shows that like, look, I'm going to try and connect with anybody in the room. I want to, I want to have a relationship with everyone on the team. So that's the angle that I take. I've actually done. I know it's stupid. I know it's stupid, but I did an experiment with my CV going through PGY1 interviews. I was like, I'm going to put something on my CV that I know 99% of people are probably not doing. And it's really to see if I can provoke or to get someone to ask about it because they see it's not common. I, I put all of my electives that I took in pharmacy school at the very end of my CV. Interesting. And did that spark a lot of conversation? Oh, yes. There were at least three different programs that were like, they were like, oh, I saw you did this elective because one of the things at my, and it might've just been, well, actually it was PGY1 interviews because I, I took them off for PGY2. But for PGY1, I had all my electives on there. And one of the electives I was really, really excited about that we did was called the Advanced Infectious Disease Cases. So it was two ID pharmacists that took their most difficult, complicated ID cases they've had and they gave it to P4s to write a soap note and plan on. And these were not easy cases. These were like, you have a like a necrotizing soft tissue infection due to group A strep. And what what drugs do you want to use? Okay, that's not working. Do you want to look at IVIG? All right, what's the data that supports it? Like gray areas in ID that we did we got no exposure to in the normal, in the regular didactic curriculum. So it was a ton of fun. I was like, I want to be able to talk about this experience and I want to give that opportunity to someone and see if they'll ask about it. I like that. Three different programs ask about those electives. Wow. Well, that's good to know. I mean, I think, well, the moral of uh, the story listening to both of us is, I guess, just know your CV in general. Because yes. <laughs> for me, they didn't really ask me any questions because they had all their written questions they wanted to ask me. And there's such a short amount of time. But like you, like I said, it's still very important to know your CV in and out. You know, always, always be prepared. And I, I still was prepared regardless. But Last thing I think we should touch on, which I think is very relevant now as we are quote unquote transitioning out of the COVID era. I feel like I hear people say that every year now, but because I've had some interviews that were in person and some interviews that were virtual, they are very, very different and they have their benefits and they have their drawbacks. So have you, have you had any, I don't know, have you had any on-site versus virtual in both seats yet? I have interviewed um, uh, PGY2 candidates for fellowships. So, so I, I kind of know like what it's like for them in a way. Obviously, I'm not in their shoes, but I can see the workflow of it. And then also, I'm obviously very familiar with virtual interviews. Um, but I'm curious because you are you, – you definitely know more than I do. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your side of the story. What's the difference like? I will say after – having gone through a strictly virtual residency recruitment experience, but now on the job interview side, having a combination of virtual and in-person, I feel like in-person is, it's the way to go. You are able to really get a feel and really assess, is this where I want to be? And I don't know if it's just the psychological component to like, I'm in the comfort of my own home going through an interview and this is just what I've known for the last two years, but actually going to the place and really sitting there going, do I see myself working here? Am I going to want to walk around this area? Is this a city I see myself in? It's so hard to visualize that 
from the comfort of your own Yes, home. and uh, that's what I really struggled with too when I interviewed at these places where I'm like, oh, it's like sounds like such a it sounds like such a great program, but I was like, wow, I wish I was able to walk through the hospital or like walk through their cafeteria. Like this is where I'd go get my coffee every morning. This is where I would park, you know, things like that. And and how are these people like what are my interactions like in person, not over a computer? So I think I, in a way, wish they were in person, but I know I I can't change that. So you would say it's definitely better in person. Yes. I I would say, uh, you know, financially, it's so much easier virtual. It costs you nothing. There's no flight. There's no gas. There's no, there's no eating out. Yeah. But it comes at a cost. That is what I will say is it's up to you to decide how important is it for you to feel that you that you can be there. It's I know it's very abstract sounding, but there is and it really didn't hit me until my RPD was like, I can't imagine interviewing for somewhere and then just walk in one day and now you're starting day one. And I was like, she said that I was like, well, what do you <laughs> That's what happened to me? I know. I was like, well, what do you mean? Like I'm, this is my second time doing this now. Like this is normal for me. And then as things go on and I start doing my first on-site job interviews, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like I either totally see myself here or I don't know if I can see myself here. Right? It's like the fact that I literally picked up my whole life, moved so far away and walked in one day and was like, hey, I'm, hey guys, I'm Callan. I'm going to be here for the next year or two, maybe possibly more. Uh, nice to see where I will be working for the first time ever. You know, I'm just like, wow, that's so strange. And I did the same thing when I moved to Detroit. I was like, oh, this is what my office looks like. Okay, good to know. Had never been here, never been to the place, never been to the area. And this is where I'm going to be for the next four or five years. Like, what a big risk, you know, you, you have to take. And and that's, yeah, that's so true, though. I, I think it kind of comes at a cost. Like what, you know, you have to kind of weigh that risk versus benefit. Maybe, I don't know, maybe not do all of them in person, but maybe the most important ones in person and then other ones virtually. And I don't think anyone has the right answer. I think it because the answer is definitely not take out loans and travel even more and don't yeah. do that. Oh my gosh, no, 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 no programs worth that. No, 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 no. But don't don't try to take out loans just to go to this one spot to think that they're going to rank you higher than than maybe another. It's like, do you think there is a selection bias of a candidate who interviews in person versus on Zoom? That is a great question because that was one of the things I have asked a lot of questions about and tried to provide the most voice about in the different residency groups I've I've been in. Um, because yes, there is there is bias. There is biases that's going to happen. I, I'm very glad that the institutions I've been at, there is a, if we offer it to some, then we have to have ways of like that, that won't influence their ranking decision or we offer on-site visits after our rank list is submitted. Like you have to have ways to prevent that. I know there were some places that I interviewed at whenever I was a PGY1 or when I was applying for PGY1 that they were like, oh yeah, um, you can either do virtual or on-site. It's up to you. It's like, okay, well, I feel incredibly pressured to do an on-site interview, especially keep in mind this was like peak pandemic. So it's like, man, I don't want to fly right now. Like I don't even have my full series of COVID vaccine yet. One of my programs did that, but I felt like it was pretty fair because they said that they were going to submit their ranking list or yeah, their their rank list. And then we could go and visit their institution. They could, you know, take us out and then see the hospital the next day. And I felt that was really nice for people who've never been to the area. Um, Which that that is how I feel like programs should do it to be equitable and fair is if you're going to do virtual interviews, that's it for everybody. And then when you're done with your rank list, if you want to offer that option for people, then yes, let the, cause some people, you know, maybe they were like me when I was BJ one, like, I don't care. I'm adaptable. I can figure it out. All right. Well, let me tell you after doing that twice. And then, you know, you pick out an apartment and sign the lease to a place you've never been to before. Haven't looked at the inside. That's, that's stressful. That <laughs> it's so stressful. And I don't think people realize that. Like, yeah, you, I found an apartment. I'm like, don't even know where this is at. Don't know what area, if this is even a safe area, but here I go. So there, if anyone is out there really struggling to figure out how to balance virtual versus on-site, let the numbers speak for themselves. Your top pick really put a lot of thought into it, just as much as your second one. That doesn't mean you're not going to match with your fourth or fifth one, but 
if we want to go strictly off the numbers, if you're going to put a little extra resources into making sure it's the right choice, your first two should be where it's at. All right, peaks and troughs time. Time for our segment. I think we had a good conversation on interviews, but let's uh, let's switch it up a little bit. So this is basically the part where we share our recent highs and lows, or we'll refer in this podcast as peaks and troughs part of the show. I'm going to do trough because I learned a lot from it this week. Um, I did not get enough sleep. Uh, and it wasn't just, yeah, yeah, typical. But this was one night where I didn't get enough sleep, and I've been doing pretty good with my new goal tracking system, but I clearly did not get enough sleep and was not recuperated from the prior day. So this day, when I went to go do my daily goal stuff, which includes my virtual reality boxing and my like daily brain game app, I sucked at all of them. It was like the worst performance I've had in so long. I couldn't even like I was trying to do my daily meditation and it was just bad. I was like, I can't focus. I'm all over the place. I can't focus on the the meditation topic. My boxing power score was like half what it normally is. My Elevate app, like one of the things was doing like word games. And I was like, I can't find words. Like I just, it was so bad. It, exactly. And I was like, what happened? Why am really trying to figure out like what happened why am i failing at all of my goals today and pretty easily pointed to like well i feel exhausted i've had my normal morning cup of coffee i didn't sleep well at all because i looked at my discord message from my group seeing that i was messaging at 11 38 p.m so it's like okay hunter get get your crap together you didn't get enough sleep and you're failing here so really i was given a hard lesson with objective data to my face how important sleep is oh yeah we've all been there i feel like yeah i can relate i can definitely relate and what would you say uh that's a pretty tough trough but i think you, you got you move forward you know you move forward your, your turn for trough oh okay so okay no no, no. all right well, I don't want to like one up you and be like, wow, my life sucks more than yours. But okay, so my car got towed, as you know, or as if you follow me on Instagram, you know my car got towed. So I go, I go to the med school, I take my exam, I'm there for a while, I'm studying really hard, doing my thing. And then I come back and I walk back and my car is not there. So I was like, one, did it get stolen? Or two, it got towed. And I'm like, ah, no one's going to steal. I mean, they could get, you know, someone could steal it, but like, that's probably not possible. So I'm like, okay. So now I make the walk of shame back to my house, call the police and be like, hey, does did, it, did anyone know where her car is? Blah, blah, blah. The description of it. And yeah. And so basically that is what happened and 665 to actually get it out by at the end of the day and i was like okay you got to be kidding me that is so expensive for a car being to be towed i don't know that's just me and um but yeah all worked out i got a new registration i got michigan license and i got a new license plate which is my peak actually which i'm going to segue into my peak guess what my license plate is i don't know wait should i say that is that can you not say your license plate on the thing isn't that bad to you can say your license plate. People will just be able to find it. <laughs> okay. The, the first peak is my license plate, and it's... <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that, that is so awesome. I'm jealous. I want that. <laughs> Do you want to edit your license plate to anything? I'm like, hmm, let me think real quickly. And I was like, uh, uh, and so I just, that's what I came up with. So, but I like it. So that's kind of my peak. My peak is there's a video game called The Forest. Oh, it is without diving too much into it. It's a survival horror co-op game. So there's cannibals on an island and you're trying to. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, it's so much fun. And is it like the maze game when you're young? Like you go and it pops up or something? Oh, no. No, it's it's much scarier than that. So this is, you know, it's very like first person shooter. So like you're walking around with an axe or a gun. And the thing is the what so that uh, that game came out like many years ago, but the prequel just came out like not too long ago. And we've all like my, our whole friend group has been super excited about this coming out because it was supposed to come out in October, but they kept delaying it. And so now it finally got released. We all got to play it, and we've been having so much fun playing it. Oh, that's fun! Aww, so, I like and that. It's, but 
it's also you know it's a co-op game so we're all working together but we're also you know messing with each other and it's also a horror game so there's cannibals screaming in your ear so when you have a surround sound headset on uh, everyone's like what was that what and so <laughs> that would it, freak it's been a lot all. of fun yeah oh my gosh no that sounds really good that sounds like a good little little game i mean besides the cannibalism i don't i don't know how i'd feel about that but hey i think it, it adds excitement to it so so anyway um that was the end of our episode and i think that was a pretty lengthy episode we could definitely talk more about this if you guys are more interested there are a lot more topics we can discuss i felt like we highlighted a lot of things about going through the interview process you know knowing your cv knowing the really the importance of the star method and why it is still talked about so much uh, but also most importantly being yourself you are interviewing them just as much as they are interviewing you so if you feel like you can't be yourself well there's a pretty clear indicator of if you should continue on all right uh we'll, we'll sign off now so remember the care you provide for your patients shouldn't come at the cost of your own care find that sustainable sense of fulfillment see <laughs> Bye. Bye.